you turn with me this morning to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, you know, life is a roller coaster ride, no doubt. Uh, there are moments of joy and elation, and we talk about praise and joy, but there is also suffering and pain as a part of life. Uh, life really is up and down, and, and momentary, uh, I, I mean, it's moment to moment. Uh, it's fleeting in some ways. Uh, just got home after soccer yesterday, which, by the way, thanks everybody for coming out and helping with that. I, I didn't hear one complaint yesterday, but I did coach a game, ref a game, and coach a game, so I didn't talk to anybody either. Uh, but I, I, I like to say there was no complaints because nobody caught me. Um, but uh, other than that, we had a great morning, uh, and I got home, and Florida and Tennessee was playing. And I thought, you know, this would be a good game because they're both sorry. Uh, so, sometimes you got to look at teams and just realize they ain't good, so it should be a good game. It was the worst offensive game I ever watched uh, this year, and, and that's saying something because I have seen Arkansas play. Um, but I, I was sitting there watching this game, and, and toward the end of the game, I mean, it was just kind of this up and down, and, and the Tennessee fans were going ex- uh, just crazy because they kicked a field goal to tie the game after – being in just this horrible, just dry, uh, no offensive ability whatsoever the whole game. They finally tied the game up at the end, and they showed these two fans. And they had checkered orange and white overalls on with no shirt. Um, and, and they were hopping up and down excited. I'm thinking the University of Tennessee probably does not appreciate CBS choosing those two fans to show on camera. And I know this because there's a guy that goes to Arkansas games who wears overalls with no shirt on and dances. And they always choose that guy to show as the fan of the University of Arkansas. I have no idea why. But those two guys were jumping up and down, so excited. And I continued to watch the game because it was tied, and I was thinking it was going to overtime. And Florida threw a 62, 63-yard bomb at the end of the game to win. And they showed those two same guys. And I'm really sure the University of Tennessee is like, come on, guys. Uh, You already showed them once, not twice. But from this just joy and excitement jumping up and down to utter dejection. Just sitting there, scratching their head, probably wondering why a cornerback covers a five-yard route instead of going deep with the guy who's going to score the touchdown. And, And I'm pretty sure almost everybody in the stadium was pondering what that cornerback was thinking. But these two guys went from probably within a couple of minutes... This kind of joy and elation and excitement and, and, and just utter happiness to this place of dejection and sorrow, tears in their eyes. And I'm, not, I'm pretty sure it was their football game, either that or they saw themselves in a mirror. But there was something that caused them this just sense of dejection in a moment. Guys, life is a lot like that. And sometimes in the Christian life, we describe it as a life filled with joy, and we describe it as a life filled with happiness and contentment and all of these things. Many of us even describe this life as one filled with elation. But really and truly, it is a roller coaster ride. Really and truly, it is a roller coaster ride that can take you to moments of great excitement and great energy. And there are moments in life where it can leave you dissatisfied rejected and dejected and and in some ways saddened because of the suffering that is part of this world what the scriptures teach us and what uh, what what so many of the passages of the new testament talk about is is trying to rise above those circumstances so that we don't get on that roller coaster in other words there's a way to transcend the sorrows of this world 
There's a way to rise above them. It doesn't have to be that roller coaster ride. There's a way for our spirits to transcend those elements which tie us down and anchor us down so many times. How do we do that? In 1 Peter, one of the ways that is taught to us that we do that is we focus upon a hope that is given us. And a hope that transcends that reality. A hope that lifts us above. A hope that allows us to go beyond what our daily circumstances are so that we don't have to live on that up and down kind of roller coaster ride of life. If you'll look with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. It says... Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you through faith or shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have to come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him, now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When he spoke of the things that have not uh, now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. This is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Here in 1 Peter, he talks about a hope that has been given. Now, 
this letter, this epistle is written to people who are in suffering. They are in pain. They are living in a world that we cannot relate to. While many of us think we are in suffering and we are in pain, we cannot really associate to the things that were happening in the New Testament era in many of the passages that are written about. This church would have known suffering and they would have known pain that was linked to their faith. See, so many of us might know suffering and so many of us might know pain, but very few of us know suffering and pain that is linked to the faith that we hold. You know, it is a different story when that which we profess That faith in God which we profess is that which brings the suffering and pain into life. So many of us might know suffering and pain through ailments that we have or through the pain of just life and everyday life. But these individuals experienced the suffering and pain that was linked to the faith that they held. Think of Paul and his life. For it was the faith that he expressed in God through Christ, the preaching of the gospel itself, that brought the pain and the suffering into his life. Yes, that is a different account. That is a different story. How do we maintain a faith? How do we maintain closeness to God when closeness to God is that which is causing the pain in our life? Most of us, if something is causing us pain or if something is causing us sorrow, we try to rid that from our life. We try to get rid of it because we think, man, that is hurting. That is bothering me. So therefore, I'll just... Get it out of my life and I'll no longer be hurt by it. And that is the way that we think so many times. Now, there are some times that we accept pain in our life because we understand that there is something good that comes from that pain. Whether it be if we go into a gym to work out with weights and try to get in better shape, that is painful. I've done it before. It hurts the next day, two days after, three days after, four days after. If you don't get back in there and lift weights again... It'll start hurting next time you pick it up. But that is something that people do every day of their life. That's some, something that people, some of these people I know, wake up at 4.30 in the morning to go lift weights. To hurt themselves. There's not much to get me out of bed at 4.30 in the morning, especially if it's going to hurt me. Most of us rid ourselves of those things which cause us pain and agony. But sometimes people will accept it. Why? Because they see something better on the other side. They see themselves getting in shape. They see themselves as healthier. They see themselves as being able to do more. Some of us have gone through surgery so that on the other side of the surgery, we might feel better. These are things that we accept pain and and agony for. But oftentimes, when whatever it is causing us pain and agony, we want to rid from our life. Well, that's a different story when it is our faith in God that is causing the pain and the agony. And here's a letter that says, guys, stick with it. In other words, overcome this suffering, overcome this pain that you are experiencing because it's going to be well worth it. You're going to have something on the other side that that, that this doesn't even compare to. I mean, think of the words of Paul. Man, I would give up everything in this earth just for the unsurpassing glory of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. So on the other side, deal with the suffering and the pain now, even if it comes in regards to your faith, because on the other side of it, you have something glorious waiting. And what allows us to kind of transcend those circumstances of life is that we know we have this eternal hope that is not just crossing our fingers and wishing that it comes true, but we have an eternal hope that is already solidified. We have an eternal hope that is already in existence. Listen to the words that Peter chooses here in the beginning. He says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in His great mercy... 
He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you through faith or shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We have a hope that will not disappoint. We have a hope that is secure in Christ. That hope is not in us. It is not in a hope that I will overcome this. It is not in the hope that I have a power within myself to overcome the circumstances of my life. The hope is set in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it is a firm hope that is already realized. Where does it exist? It exists in heaven itself and it is protected by the power of God. In other words, God has promised us this. We sang a, a song this morning talking about the faithfulness of God, that he is always faithful. He's never left us alone. He's never left us to walk by ourselves. And what First Peter is telling us is this hope is realized and it is protected by God himself. So if God says this hope is there, then it's there. If God says this hope is yours, then it's yours. And we trust in that. We have faith in that. Why? Because Our God's never lied to us. Our God has never left us alone. Our God does not leave us alone. So we have faith that he will be be there for us wherever we are in the future. He goes on and he says, This is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have to come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith and salvation of your souls. Do you hear what he says? In other words, this hope is what we have. We possess it. It is already there. It is what allows us to transcend the heights. It is what allows us to rise above our circumstances. And he said it is there so that our faith will grow deeper. One of my favorite books in the Old Testament is the book of Job. And I think so often we miss the point of the book of Job. We talk about how Job gets everything back in the end. That's not the point of Job. If you lose the things Job lost in his life, it doesn't matter if you get them back tenfold. Job lost everything that was important to him, including family. and You can't replace those things. That's not something that you simply say, well, God gave me another one. That's not the point of the book of Job. The point of the book of Job is when Job is upon his knees before his God and he utters, now I have seen a God who I'd only once heard of. In other words, through all my suffering and all my pain, all the agony that I walk through, now I know God in a deeper, more real sense. That's the point of Job. Is that as he comes before God and God basically says, Job, who are you? Why are you challenging me? It puts Job in a state of humility, one that allows him to know that he needs repentance. If you remember throughout the entire book, Job was saying, I have done nothing wrong. I am pure before God. But at the end of the book, we find him on his knees in repentance. It's not because of the actions that he's performed, but it's because of who he is. So that's the point we miss within the scriptures. 
That's a point we miss, especially within the Old Testament. We don't need repentance just because we made a mistake. We said something wrong or we did something wrong or we got aggravated on the soccer sideline because our kids would not do what they needed to do. Billy told me I'm going to have to get some anxiety method, uh, medicine if I can t- uh, keep soccer, uh, coaching soccer. But it doesn't matter necessarily about those actions. That's not what is being spoken of. That's not what is being talked about. Job is repenting because of who he is. Guys, there's something to the words of David when he said that my sin was ever before me, even in the womb. We are sinners. And, and, and so many times we say that, and what we think theologically is we are sinners because we made these little mistakes. No, we are sinners at the very core. When we are created, we are the created order, and we are created by God himself. There is an immediate separation between the creator and that which is created. The created order is not equal to the creator. There is separation there. And in some ways, we've got to come to recognize that we are sinners in and of ourselves. Not because of some small action that we have done, but because of who we are. How do we get this hope then if we are so sinful? How do we get this hope then if we have been rejected? We get this hope because God has made it possible. We get this hope through Christ coming into this world, the sacrifice that he has made, the resurrection that has taken place, that's what restores this hope to us, and that is what makes it possible. How do we obtain it? Then here in Peter it says that we obtain this hope because we love him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith. It builds our faith. What faith is he speaking of? It is a faith that we believe in because we love Christ, even though we have not seen him with our eyes. That faith is is made deeper. That faith becomes more real, and it's based in an eternal hope that God has given us. He goes on, he says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come, you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances for which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of these things. This hope became known in Christ. This hope became real in Christ. It is those who have experienced Christ and his resurrection. He goes on, he says, Therefore, in verse 13, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he has called you as holy, so be in holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So what Peter says is we have this hope and it's the hope that is realized and it comes through the power of Christ, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And this is what the prophets even spoke of. And he said, because of this, because you have received this hope, this inspirational hope that allows you to transcend your circumstances, then prepare your minds for action. 
We sang a song this morning. It, it, it talked about walking in His grace. But the very next line talked about every time we breathe, breathing out His praise. There is something to be said if we are going to stand in the grace of God or we are going to walk in the grace of God, it should inspire outward performance. In other words, it should inspire us praising God. It should inspire us worshiping God. It should inspire us giving grace to others. If you can embrace the grace of God and stand in the grace of God and walk in the grace of God and live in the grace of God and not give grace to others and not praise his name for the grace that he has given you. Guys, do we really understand the grace that we stand in? Then? I have sadly been pulled over a couple of times by the police. Most of the times, not justly, but I have been pulled over several times. Most of the times I walked away with a ticket. My wife somehow has been pulled over more times than I have been pulled over and never walks away with a ticket. I've yet to figure this out. I've got theories, um, but I've yet to figure it out. But let me tell you, the one time I had a cop look at me, and I can't remember why they did it. Because they didn't, they shouldn't have done it. He had me. When I saw the blue lights, the first thing I did was look down at my speedometer and went, man, this is going to be expensive. Because um, I wasn't paying attention. I was in, I, and I shouldn't have been this way driving. I don't know if anybody else ever does it in here. This is a confession moment. There's times I daydream when I drive. And I don't always use my cruise control. And when I don't have it on cruise control, there's sometimes I can look down at my speedometer and go, really, I was going that fast? I, I mean, and, and he had me. I saw the what woke me back up into reality was I saw blue lights and I went, that's going to hurt the wallet. Because one way to get my attention is take money out of my wallet. It'll get my attention every time. And I knew I was paying and, and he pulled me over. And I think what did it, he asked me where I was coming from. And I said, church. And I really was. I wasn't lying. <laughs> Although now I think about it, next time any cop asks me where I'm coming from, it may be church. But I said church. And when I did, he started talking to me about how dangerous it was, and it was, and how much I needed to pay attention, and I did. And he it talked to me about all these things. And he said, well, son, I think it was on a Sunday even. He said, son, it's a Sunday. I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to tell you something. I love that guy. <laughs> I don't know his name. I forgot the. I forgot what his badge is, but I love that guy. If I ever see him again, I can actually remember it was him. I'm going to thank him again because I thanked him a lot that day. I was like, you just have no idea how much of a day you made this for me. This is so awesome. I'm going to tell people about this years from now, evidently. Guys, I, I was happy because he gave me grace. And it was a tiny minute little bit of grace because I'm talking about just paying the fine. God gave me grace that saved me from eternal death and damnation. How can I stand in that grace? How can I live in that grace and not praise His name? How can I stand in that grace? How can I live in that grace and, and, and that not generate 
something coming forth from my life. I just can't imagine that I can stand in that grace and fully understand what God has gifted me with and not have that impact the way that I live my life. And Peter basically says, you have this hope and you have it through this grace and that grace should inspire you to be ready in your mind and to be holy in your life. Guys, are we ever going to be holy as God is holy? Most likely not. We'll fall short and we will fail, but it does not mean that we do not strive. And we do it so that we might honor God. When we speak of praising God for who He is or we speak of being the children of God, That does not just simply mean we call him father every now and then. And it does not just simply mean that we say a few praises every now and then. To truly honor God for what he has done for us, it means that I must live a life that truly searches after God. See, we miss the point of scripture so often. I think we think in terms of the world in which we live And for us to to pursue God is more of an intellectual pursuit. Do I believe in God's existence? Do I believe that God is real? To pursue God in the scriptures is not an intellectual pursuit where I can come to a point where I claim I have some type of epistemological certitude of God's existence or I can claim without any doubt that God exists for sure. That's not what the scriptures are talking about when it says pursue God. But to pursue God is with every ounce of your being, you live for God. And until we can say that, then we can't say we're really praising God. To come into a building and sing a few songs or to listen to a sermon is not praising God to the level that God deserves praise for what he's done for us. It deserves more commitment and dedication than that. To truly praise God You must be committed to God, you must walk with God, and you must pursue God in every avenue of life. That's what is due him, justly. He moves on, he says, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. What brings about this praise? What brings about this life? What brings about the commitment and dedication is we understand that we were lost without the sacrifice of Christ. We didn't have a chance until Christ stepped in and gave up his life as an unblemished lamb so that we might have hope. That's what inspires the praise. That's what inspires the life. That's what inspires the change. When you can fully comprehend, I didn't have a chance until God did this magnificent, wonderful sacrifice. It should inspire praise. It should inspire a different life. And it should inspire dedication and commitment to the one who gave us so much. And he moves forward and he says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. 
All men are like grass. Their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, God has given us a wonderful sacrifice and Christ sacrificed himself willingly as an unblemished lamb. And because of that, you now have the potential of a hope that is eternal. You don't have to waller in the circumstances of life, but you can rise above those because you are covered in the grace of God. But that grace and that action of a sacrifice that he has made should inspire within us a life that pursues our God. A life that honors our God. A life that truly wants to go after God with every ounce of being. Think back to the book of Deuteronomy to to, to truly Know that God is one, that He is your God, and to love them, to love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what's inspired through what God does for us. And what does that look like? It looks like a life that is free of malice, it looks like a life that is free of deceit and hypocrisy, envy, slander. It looks like a life that pursues God. As we have no doubt about what a life that pursues God looks like. We don't. I mean, we can get into some complicated theological debates, but really and truly, we have no doubt what it looks like to pursue God. And if we fully understood what God did for us, then we would pursue God. The suffering and the pain, while I do not minimize it, And I understand that it is quite severe for many. In the eternal grand scheme of things, it is almost as though here 1 Peter treats them as speed bumps. They are things that we must overcome to get where we are going. But when we get where we're going, we'll forget about all this other. Because we are going to a glorious place. And we will be with a glorious God. And that hope is secure, firm, and eternal. Let us live a life that praises God for being the God He is. Let us live a life that praises God for being the God who sacrificed so much that we might have life and that we might have it eternal. Let us be a people who pursue our God because he has pursued us. May we embrace him and the hope that he has given us so that we might honor him in all things. Let us pray. God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for all that you've given us. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for our salvation and the hope which comes from it. God, we thank you for allowing us to transcend our circumstances, to rise above, to overcome. Lord, we thank you for what waits for us in glory. But not just in glory, Lord, we thank you for what you bring to us in this life, each and every day, each and every moment. Lord, I pray that we might praise you in all things. I pray that we might live for you, that we might honor you, that we might pursue you. For you were the first one to pursue us. Lord, allow us to love you with all of our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. For Lord, you are the one who has taught us to love. 
through the sacrifice of your son. Allow us, Lord, to walk in relationship with you each and every day, striving to be the people you've called us to be, not only as individuals, but as a church and the bride of Christ. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This morning we'll have a time of invitation. Any decisions that need to be made in a public manner, feel free to come forward at this time. If you'll please stand. Thank you.